0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Good morning to you. Great to have you with church uh, this morning online. And we welcome you to join us one day in person. Would be great to have you there. And uh, we've got plenty of room at our church. And uh, meeting together matters. We find that what we do there in person is what we can't do online. So we'd love to see you join us there. And, uh, but we'd love to have you in this setting as well. And uh, so this week we begin a new theme talking about a, the lens of the gospel. Uh, this morning while I'm shooting this, I'm looking down the barrel of a lens and and how you see me is determined by what that lens uh, looks like, the, the aperture and the, and the depth of it and so on. But the way we see life, we see life through a lens as well. And when we look at it, uh, the Christian life or the life with God or, or life uh apart from God, how does that look to us? And for those who are watching here this morning, there'll be many different ways that we view life. The lens that we have, the God lens, if you like, uh, alters things. And today we're going to look about what uh, it looks like uh, to see life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. And I want to talk about what that gospel really is. But you may regard yourself as just uh, a normal person, most of us do, but a person who believes in God, but but that belief doesn't uh, have a lot of sway in how life works out for you. It's it's just a factor that's there that God will, I think he's real, um, but that doesn't really change much about the way I live. The assumption may be, well, I'll get to see him one day and he, he's a good God. He's a just God. And uh, as such, he'll let me into eternity with him. And many people in the globe at the moment uh, uh, live that way through that sort of lens. Um, but you might be uh, also see yourself a little bit differently. You might see, well, I'm a normal person, but I'm actually also a Christian. I'm a committed Christian. I, I, I not only believe in God, um, but I believe that Jesus came, died for me, and, and I've placed my faith in that. But I essentially live my life as a normal person day to day. I have a job. I have kids and a community and, and school stuff and, and you know all the things that we, we do as normal part of life. Um, but my Christianity doesn't impinge too much on any of that other than perhaps what I might do on a Sunday. So like I'm a normal person with the God thing sort of connected in, um, but it doesn't infiltrate every part of my life. Or you may be a third category that says, no, I'm a Christian first and everything I do in life, the way I view everything in life is through the lens of what it means to be living with God. And that's really what I want to talk into today is differentiating those things and understanding that if we begin to look at, the lo- at our life through the lens of what scripture says, what the gospel says, and what that gospel actually is, it actually does change everything. It changes your habits, your priorities, your politics. It changes everything about your life because you begin to see, hang on, I'm here for a reason and I have a function here. And the way I live with God in my life has huge implications, not only on me, but on those people around me and the greater world at large as well. So let me introduce that through uh, the book of Ephesians. It's a New Testament book written by a man called Paul, who uh, came after Christ uh, had risen and uh, and been uh, resurrected, gone into heaven. Paul met him later through a bit of a miraculous journey. Jesus literally knocked him off his high horse and uh, introduced himself through a miraculous vision. And uh, it was a polarizing moment for Paul. And he came to know through a spiritual sense deeply, Uh, Christ within and that had huge implications because he was already a religious man but he had to discard all his own righteousness based on living a religious life well and cash that in and really say that's of no use to me all that's of use is placing my faith in what Christ has done so let's have a look at what he says in the book of Ephesians it's chapter one verses three to eight he says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in the heavenly realms That's an incredible passage. We could camp there for many, many hours of conversation. The terminology, the rich themes that are in there about salvation and redemption. But I want to talk right now about just that idea of redemption. What is redemption? And and there's a few words in there I want to join with that. Uh, There's redemption. There's the idea of the redemption coming in his blood. What does that mean? And then another term he says called the riches of grace. So how do these three terms joined together to change our life so significantly. Redemption is a a concept, we understand redemption now, we can redeem coupons and so on and we get something back. Redemption in the the day in which it was written was really gained from Old Testament times. And I talked about the payment of a price by someone who was regarded as a deliverer, who was buying something or someone back at their own expense, because the one who needed to be redeemed could not self redeem. And so a redeemer had to come in and pay that price for them. There's nothing that they could do if the person was held captive to redeem themselves. They had to be redeemed by a redeemer. In the New Testament, Paul uses a different term in uh, Romans 6 uh, verse 23. He says the wages of sin is death. And so anyone who was imperfect in any way was held captive and needed to be redeemed. He said the best that we could do, the wages of our life, the salary bag, if you like. If you look in the salary bag of what we've earned by what we've done and who we are, he said the salary bag contains nothing but death. There's, it's leading us down one track. And death in the, in the Old Testament terms very much meant separation from God. And uh, the original Hebrew was very rich there. It said the ramifications are that you're, in dying, you will die. It's like an ongoing process where we become less and less alive. And so the the wages of sin are that death and it needs to be redeemed by someone else because the gift of God, he goes on to say, is life. So the wages of our life are death, but the gift from God to us is life. He redeems us from that. And so then we come to the term through his blood because we're redeemed through his blood. The way back for us who, who are heading down the road of death, the way back was through perfect life. And that proved impossible for humanity. None of us can live that perfect life. And even if we got very close, the price still needs to be paid. The death price still needs to be paid because that's the wages of what we've done. And so someone, something, somehow had to die. But in that death, it had to be perfect. The, the, the exchange had to be won without blemish. And so that was never going to be humanity. It had to be God himself in the form of man, Jesus. Perfect and yet still human to pay the price that humanity needed to pay. And it sounds like an incredible injustice, but we, I guess we don't understand the, the heavenly judicial system. But there's a great illustration I heard once about a young boy, who was a very industrious young boy, and, and he'd, he'd made his own little sailboat. And he'd gone to incredible detail over a lot of time. He'd saved up for the materials. He'd, he'd put this thing together. He'd, he'd sanded it back. He'd painted the hull. He'd put the sails in place. He'd sewn them together himself. He'd done all the rigging himself. And there came the day finally after many months of making this boat where he decided to give it a try and set sail. So he puts it on the lake there and the wind catches the sail. But before he knew it, the boat was going. It was going out of reach and and, and no matter how fast he swam after it, he couldn't get the boat back and the boat was lost. And so he was obviously incredibly sad at the loss of the creation that he'd made. He'd taken so much time and when it was his own. It was very special to him. But many months later he was walking past a a pawn shop there and saw for sale a uh, the boat and he said that's my boat my boat's ended up in this shop and he goes in there to get it back and he picks it up and he starts walking out with the boat but the shop owner says hey where are you going you need to pay for that thing he says no but it's mine look i I can tell there'll be a scratch here and there'll be a a mark there and the paint will be like this in there where i can't see and he shows the, uh, the the store owner and he says well sure enough that's true but The bottom line is i've paid for this boat this boat is mine and if you want it you've got to buy it back so he had no cash on him but he had to go away and again save up and save up over a few weeks and months and finally came back and uh bought the boat back so he'd paid twice for this boat this is very much the story of god with humanity he bought us back he created us we are his workmanship scripture says over and over again we were created for a certain purpose and we belonged to God and, and uh, we enjoyed life with him. But through our sin, we blew away on the breeze. We, of our own free will, made choices. And he had to buy us back of his own volition. Only he could buy us back. Only he could pay that price. And so that's the third term that we want to come to in this passage. The riches of grace. The riches of grace really say that uh, no matter what the price, no matter what the debt, no matter what uh, the cost it was going to be to redeem, the riches of His grace could pay that price, would pay that price, and we're determined to pay that price. And there's an unlimited heavenly resource available to buy back the brokenness and the death of our life. No life is out of His reach. None of us are out of His reach. And so God wants to redeem your life. And God wants to redeem my life too, even though I'm already a believer. I've already uh, fully embedded and, and bought into and placed my faith in the price He's paid. And yet there's still parts of death in my life. There's still brokenness. There's still elements of my life that need to be redeemed. And so this story of grace is not for unbelievers only. It's for believers as well. He wants to buy back your story. He wants to take your disappointment where we've got it wrong, where we've, um, we've had expectations on God he hasn't met. And so we've wanted to walk away. It's the trauma. It's the relationships that are broken. It's the failures that we continue to do. And we look at them and we might think, God's paid the price and he's gotten me saved and I'm getting to heaven one day, but this stuff, this is too much for him. But he says, no, grace remains. I still want to buy back your life. I want to take that brokenness and I want to redeem that as well. I want to take it back. I want to pay that price so that I can use that now for my purposes. I I want you to see what grace and salvation looks like in that situation so it can be a blessing for other people. So God has unlimited grace. He never runs out. There's nothing too bad. There's no situation too broken that he can't invade that space. And so Paul goes on in this first chapter of Ephesians and he says, in him, because of this grace, we have every spiritual blessing. Very interesting term because a spiritual blessing is very different from what we would call a physical blessing. It's it's not the blessing so much that we would ask for. We would ask for riches or success or whatever it is. That our flesh would drive to. He says, you've got every spiritual blessing already in place. Verse 3, he says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so it's in the heavenly realms, whatever that means. It's, it's in another place, another dimension. And we start to see that God, through His redemption and His grace, has positioned us in a realm that we can't see. And yet we're very much anchored there because eternity is actually already anchored in the human soul. We understand this. We know there's more to this uh, universe and what we can see. And he says, I've anchored you through this grace. I've placed you there firmly and you're there with me. Positionally, you are now mine. And so he starts to use these incredible terms uh, as we go on through the book of Ephesians to describe these blessings in heavenly places. He says, we're holy and we're blameless. And what that's saying there is that we're holy. Holy means to be set apart and put on the highest shelf with the most valuable items, a place protected from the world. He says, you're like that. You're holy. You're blameless. You're spotless. In his eyes, you're perfect. He's positioned you with him as if you're perfect. He sees you as perfect. He sees you through the lens of this salvation and redemption. He says, we're adopted. Uh, we're invited into his family. I, I still can't comprehend that. God, this, this all-powerful, creator of the universe, invites me, sees me, and invites me to be in His house with Him. He loves us that much, and there's nothing we can do to outrun the size of this grace. We're not a stranger to God. It's not like He's far away and apart from us and doesn't care. He's our God and our dad, and and He invites us to call Him that very thing. And He invites us with a blessing in the heavenly realms of what Paul says now is this blessing of the deposit of His Holy Spirit. He says, when you believed, you received. When you placed your faith in him, he gave you grace. And so this whole concept of grace and faith and believing, they're all wrapped up into this little bundle, which really means I rely on him. And as I rely on him, he, he meets my need. So I'm relying on him to meet that need and he meets that need. So to place my faith in Christ means I'm relying on him to pay the price I could never pay. But it also means... Post-salvation, it means I rely on him to get through my day. And as I rely, his provision provides. So I'm exercising faith. He's giving grace. And grace is his empowering presence to live this life. He goes on in Ephesians 1, to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so he gives humanity, you and I, he gives us a new way to see God. It's not this God who was a long way off. He gives us the deposit of himself. It's like we use the term deposit and we think it's a part payment, but we're not receiving part of God. We're receiving all there is. Uh, You can't just get an arm or a leg. Uh, The Holy Spirit is God placed within us as a deposit that guarantees. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same awesome power lives within us. We can't escape the proximity of God now. He is not far away. He is close to us. He is a deposit of himself within. See, it's personal now. God is not an idol. God is not an object of religion. This is personal. This is a relationship. He's dwelling with you and promises never to leave. He doesn't have some sort of a set and forget religion where, okay, price paid, I'll see you when you get to heaven. No, he's inviting us into a life of grace now. It says in the Song of Solomon back in the Old Testament, and it's looking forward to uh, an illustration of Jesus and the romance of the gospel where God brings uh, his betrothed home. And we're seen as his betrothed. It says, place me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire. It, it's a mighty flame and many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. This is how God sees love. He says, it's like a seal on your arm. I'm not going away. There's nothing you can do that will force me away. I'm in your life now. We're intertwined and we're together in this thing. It's proved, he's proved it without hesitation. He sent his own son. He could not have paid a higher price than to die himself for us. And that grace doesn't stop at the cross. It's just the beginning. That's the gospel of salvation that Paul just talked about. But that's step number one in a lifetime of a life of grace because now he's dealing with us. And this is a mystery I'd love to unwrap now. It's this mystery of the eternal living in your heart. See, our flesh and blood is temporary. It's temporal. But this God who dwells with us is eternal. And so somehow eternity is mixed with the temporary. This is one of the great mysteries of the gospel. And Westerners, we we struggle with, if we can't understand, we tend to discard that which we don't understand. It's like, okay, this is all too hard. I can't embrace this lifestyle. But Jesus invites us in to this lifestyle of dust and breath of the temporal and the eternal and he says, no, this is the Christian life. This is a life where I'm dwelling with you in power. And Paul goes on to say in the same chapter that the predestination can exist with choice. He's saying the eternal is outside of time. Eternity has no limits of the linear sequence of time. It's before time. It's after time. It's all of time. It's all together. It's like a whole other dimension. And that sort of life, that eternal life is living with us. And so from God's perspective, everything's It's like a a bubble that he can look at from any direction, from inside, outside, upside, downside. And it's almost like everything was supposed to happen that way. And yet we who are uh, temporal, we have to live with choice, the option to choose one way or the other now. And so we struggle with this. We say, well, if it's predestined, then we don't have a choice. Um, Or if if we're making our choice, then things can't be predestined. But Paul says in Ephesians 1, he goes on, he says, For God chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. He loved, In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. And so it's crystal clear there, we are predestined. That's like this, whatever is happening is inevitable. And yet he goes on just a few verses later in chapter two and says, we're saved by grace through faith. And so faith is our decision. It's, it's, it's a choice that we have to make. And so we're living completely, 100%, in both areas, the temporal and the eternal. We make a choice, and yet in retrospect, that which seems impossible uh, becomes inevitable. And so we're living in both these places at once. Hard for us to understand. So let me illustrate this in a new way. There's a a book written in the 1880s by a, a novelist called Edwin Abbott. And it's the idea of a thing called Flatland, Flatland. So Flatland is a place where it's uh, life is in two dimensions, a bit like a whiteboard or a, or a sketch pad. And in Flatland, the way he depicts it, uh, people are depicted as random objects, like a, a square or a circle or a line, this sort of thing. And they, they're trying to navigate their life through two dimensions. And, and what he begins to draw out is what happens if an extra dimension like you and I have um, of a third dimension enters into... A two-dimensional space. So, so, if I was, if I had a flat pane of glass, and, and that's uh, what Flatland looked like. But I come as a three-dimensional being, and I and I put my hand into Flatland through that pane of glass. How would that three-dimensional person begin to look? And so he's saying, well, you'd see uh, four circles as my fingers go in. Then as my hand goes in, you'd see it more like a, a, an oval shape, and then an arm. So the shape would change as a three-dimensional object intersects with two-dimensional space. And so flatland would then struggle to say, what is that object? Oh, it's circles, circles. Oh, now it's an oval. Now it's something else. And so that w- it would be like trying to describe that which is um, fixed changing as it intersects with our world. This is what it begins to look like for us because God is operating outside of the dimensions we have. We have three dimensions and then a fourth dimension of time. But what if there was a God who was larger than time? What if he could see beyond that? And so, and what would it look like when that God who is eternal comes into our temporal world? How do we begin to describe it? You can start to see the frustration there. But picture it like this. Imagine you and I live in flatland and we're trying to have a conversation about uh, do we have free will or do we have, is everything predestined? And so we might represent free will as a circle. We say, okay, here is a circle of free will. It's like the Israelites in the desert. uh, They're they're making their choices, but they're going round and round in a circle. And this is what life looks like when we have free will. But then the Calvinist comes in and they've got a theology that says, no, no, everything is predestined. So we might represent them like a rectangle. And we say, well, uh, everything fits in this box of being uh, predestined. You can't get outside of this box. It's got to fit in there. It's God's will, whatever happens was God's will. There's no choice. So can the circle ever become the rectangle? Can the rectangle ever convert to be a a circle? And so we find now these things are incompatible in Flatland. But what if an extra dimension comes in? So I'm using a whiteboard marker here as an example. So I could say, well, let's talk about free will. And as you're looking down the camera, you can see a circle. The whiteboard marker is a circle or I can come at it from the perspective of the uh, predestination and that we have no choice thing, everything's um, predestined. And it looks like the rectangle. So the same whiteboard marker is taking two shapes. And so which is it? Is it a, is it a circle or is it a rectangle? Well, if, they, if this comes in the flatland and then I turn it around, the circle becomes a rectangle. It's not either or, it's both. And so God's looking at that and saying, is it free will or predestination? And he looks all around it and goes, yes. It's both. It's all at the same time. And so we begin to understand that this life of grace, this redeemed life that he's brought us into, is a bit like flatland experiencing the whiteboard marker. It's both at the same time. And we can fully live there and we make our choices. And yet, in retrospect, those choices can look like they're inevitable. Uh, The point here is that God invites us to cooperate with his known will. He invites us in. To this eternal story, but then the grace that He gives us makes it possible to do that. So it's by grace, it's by grace we uh, live, but by faith we access that grace. But He even, even uh, comments on that. It says, That faith that you require to live by grace, that choice that you make, even that faith is a gift. It's like He gives us the grace to access His grace, it's the temporal and, and the eternal living together. It's it's a mess and it's confusing and it's a paradox, but it's fantastic. This is the lens. This is the gospel lens that we live through. And yet I can can also choose to live outside because I have free will. I can still choose to live outside of His will. And yet God still interacts in that space. He says, you're making the choice to go against my plan for your life, but I keep calling you back. A bit like the uh, heavenly GPS system. It's like you're heading south, but I've called you north make a U-turn now, make a U-turn now. And he doesn't get more angry at us the more we're determined to go our own way. He just continually makes the offer, come back, turn right now, turn left now, take the next roundabout, come back, come home. And as we do that, the moment that we turn, his redemption then comes in and says, all those mistakes that you've made, now let's find a way to work together, to work them together for good. I didn't like the fact that you were doing that, it goes against my plan, but let's not waste that time. Let's invert it and, and, and use the grace that I've given your life to turn that around and use that as part of your story. So I'm not called to understand eternity, but I'm called to live eternally. I don't understand the length and time. I don't understand how God sees things, but I'm invited to live as if it's real. So I, the decisions that I make, the faith-based uh, decisions I make are eternal decisions. So he invites us beyond the moment of salvation into the gospel of the kingdom so that while we live in flatland, we're living as if we're beyond it because what we do now has implications for eternity. And this sort of lens, it changes everything about your life. It changes your vision for life and why you're doing it. It changes the way you see and experience this incredible grace, this grace that we access through faith. It changes the way you see people. It changes the way you see what can't be seen because our blessings, are spiritual. They're in a realm that we can't see. How do we interact with that realm? So to wrap up, I'd just like to bounce back to this whole idea that we started with of redemption. See, the principle at play here with redemption is that the size of God's grace, the size of what He provides us, because grace equals His empowering presence, the size of that grace matches the size of your need. So the price that was paid to get you out of darkness as big as it needed to be, was without limit. It was always enough. It was sufficient to pay that price for you. And there's nothing that you have done, there's nothing about our life that's so big that grace can't match it because it's without limit and yet it's always defined as being sufficient. So this goes for forgiveness, it goes for redeeming a past, it goes for living in the present. He offers to wipe your slate clean, He offers to look at your past pain and to use it for his purposes, to heal you from it and to turn that around to help heal others. And he also gives grace in the present confusion that you're living right now. The the disillusionment, the discomfort, uh, the the not, not knowing what to do with life and where to go. He comes in and he gives you grace right then in many forms. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Two key words there, sufficient and perfect. The word sufficient comes from a military term. It was used when uh, the invaders would break down the wall of a city and they'd leave a big gap in the wall. And so they would have to patch that wall up with wood and stone. And, and, and the word they used when that was completely filled, the word was sufficient, that same word. So it's a perfect fit to keep the enemy at bay. He's saying, my grace is a perfect fit. Whatever you need, it's perfect. And So Paul uses that word perfect. He says my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the word perfect doesn't mean what we mean perfect. It means complete. It means made whole. It means to be made mature. And so my power is matured. It's made complete in your weakness. You know we all need grace. We need grace today. We needed grace yesterday and we're going to need it tomorrow as well. But we all have a need for God to provide for our life. If we're gonna live this eternal life, we can't do it without him. That's the whole deal. We need to have it through grace. So let me pray for you right now and invite you to receive that grace in a new way. Lord, I pray for each one who's listening. Lord, I pray for those who've never placed their faith in you, but they'd like to do that. They'd like to just say, I'm relying on what you bring. I wanna rely on this grace. And no matter how dark your past, no matter how much has gone on, God offers his hand to say, let me redeem you. Let me pay this price for you. You need to place your faith in what he has done. Give your life over to him and declare him and allow him to be Lord in your life. So Father, I pray for each one that might be in that that situation. Will you uh, deposit yourself in them through the Holy Spirit as they hand over their life to you? Father, I pray, forgive sin. Lord, wipe it clean, redeem their past and bring them into your kingdom life. And Lord, for those of us who already know you, but Father, there's so much about our life that we can't live on our own strength. Will you redeem our past? And Lord, will you live and give us grace for today? Lord, make your reality in our life ever present and more tangible so that we would know and we would see our life through the lens of this power that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is all about how God offers us grace. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us the power to live. It says in Romans 8, 1-3, Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. So when we eat and when we drink, what we're doing there is we're recognizing that is that is real, that is true. That is what has happened. Jesus has paid the price for my sin. Incomprehensible price, incredible grace, but he's done it for us. All we need to do is place our faith in what he's done for us and declare him as Lord in our life. So as we eat and drink, we're remembering that and reconfirming ourselves to this life of grace, this life of salvation redemption. So let's eat and drink together. Father, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood that was shed, the life that was given for our sake. We could never do it on our own. We thank you that you did it for us. We can't say thank you enough, but we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you now and we look forward to seeing you again next week.